I've got great news for you. And the news is this. There is no reason to be discouraged in 2019. I, I didn't say that we're not going to hormonally have issues. Right now I, I'm preparing for radiation. I'm off all these treatments. My thyroid's out. I got no thyroid medicine. And like hormones are going. Wah! And yet it's beautiful. There's still no reason to be discouraged. Why? The word of God points us to the source of encouragement. I'm not discouraged about the United States either. Why? Well, first of all, my hope's not in any government scheme. But more than that, the one who's in control is not up for election. More than that, the Supreme Court is not in Washington, D.C. The Supreme Court happens to be quite a bit higher on one throne. There are not nine judges. There's one. And that judge has the final word. You see, we find the answers in God's word. And in Psalm 11, we're going to see all of this jump out so clearly. So let's read together. I mean, I'll do it out loud and follow along. Psalm 11, and let's start when I say in verse 1. I'm talking where most of the world starts in verse 1. In, in English, we kind of just add it on before verse 1. But let's read that little preface introduction as well. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, as we jump into this passage, let me give you a title if you're taking notes. And I do hope you're taking notes. If not, I just hope you listen extremely well. Um, I, I want to call this when, when fear faces off with faith. When fear faces off with faith. Because we're going to see the two are not going to go together. Another way you could look at it is finding hope in your fears. And so as we try to fix many things, I want you to notice the way the world is going to try to get David to fix his problems right at the beginning. Now, we're not exactly sure where David was when he wrote this psalm, but there are a couple other psalms where David uses similar language and speaks of God as his refuge. Um, psalm 52 being one of them, verse 1, um, and then I believe Psalm 142, and when you get down to verse 5, and in both of those contexts, David says that he was in a cave, which most likely goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. And the cave is very interesting because it's the cave of Adullam. Now, why, why do we even bring that out remotely? Because the word Adullam means refuge. So David, when speaking about the Lord as his refuge, very appropriately says so when there's actually a geographical location right there that's called refuge. 
And I think David's doing that to make sure that everybody knows the reality of the situation is that God is his source of confidence because it's very easy to get distracted by the things around us which we think are securities and then when they're ripped out from under us, all of a sudden we end up depressed and discouraged and disillusioned and wondering what just happened to what I thought I could count on. So he's in this place where he says, in the Lord I take refuge. But apparently during this time of refuge there is someone whether it's a friend or whether it's a foe i don't know but either way it's someone with bad advice and they come to him and look at what they say and it clearly is an insult to david and we're going to look into this a little bit they say or he says how can you say to my soul flee like a bird to your mountain for behold the wicked bend the bow. They fitted the arrow to the string to shoot at the dark, uh, shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? All right, so let's pause. I want us to think of things like this. There are really four options I see today to deal with the fears in our life and the fears surrounding us. And if we're honest, we all have fears. Whether they be fears of what might happen to someone we love. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, there are fears I never struggled with until I got married last year. My beautiful bride is right there from Houston as well. And, and, and let me tell you that all of a sudden it's like, wow, Lord, I have to turn something over to you. I've never had to turn over to you before. Now we're expecting our first baby. There are new fears that come in that again, I have to come before the Lord. So what I'm sharing with you is a journey that the Lord's constantly teaching me. I'm not preaching at you. I, I'm preaching right here and listening to the Holy Spirit and stepping on ten toes. If you get stepped on, that's not me. That's the Lord. So, what does the world suggest? Well, here's a few options. The one option that they say right away is we can try to flee from our fears. Flee from our fears. Now, when I say flee from our fears, well, where does the passage say that? Notice David is confronted and it says, flee like a bird to your mountain. Now, David uses the language of birds very frequently in scripture. In fact, uh, in fact uh, there, there's a whole list of things that he calls himself uh, over in Psalm 103, an eagle. In chapter 102, verse 6, an owl. Another time in chapter 102, a pelican. Um, how about this? A partridge over in 1 Samuel 26. Um, a dove in chapter 55, verse 6. So all these different birds. But this one, when it says flee like a bird, this is a, this is a huge insult. Like we're not just talking any bird. Really, the word for bird here is a sparrow. In fact, if you looked at the Hebrew, the, the, the word is kind of a play on words. It's like the twittering sound when you say, I can't say it as a twitter, but if you spoke Hebrew, you could say it very poetically, almost like a twitter and not like a, a twitter as in a tweet. Okay. Just a twitter. Um, so like a little twittering bird. Now, now in Niger, in my village, I, I have, a, we're not living there right now, but I have a house there. And in my house, I planted a lot of gardens, even though it's desert and it, it works amazingly well. And so birds congregate at my home. And that's beautiful because I have this little practice I like to do in the morning um, just to remember God's care. And that is I'll go, I'll go out early morning and I'll just sit in my garden or I'll just stand there and I'll wait. And I'll wait for the birds to come and start chirping. And as soon as they start chirping, I remember, wow, they ate again which means God took care of the birds. He'll take care of me too. 
Why should I fear? Why should I be discouraged? Seriously, like God took care of a bird? Am I so foolish and absolutely idiotic to claim I believe in the word of God and think he doesn't know what I need more than I know what I need? Wow, oh me of little faith. But one thing I know about those birds, if I get close to those birds, just close, (laughs) that bird does not trust me. That bird takes off and goes away very quickly. Sparrows and these little twittering birds, they're not birds of great trust. And this is the word that David uses. In other words, he says, how can you say flee like a little twittering sparrow? That's not who I am in this world. When difficulty arises, my calling is not just to flee. But that is option number one. I wonder if you have a fear today. You have a confrontation in your life. You have something going on. That the world just says flee. Now I say the world says to flee. Because God does tell us to flee certain things. But that's sin. All right, I'm not talking about the confrontation of fear. And situations which simply have to be dealt with. In our society and in our world. So option number one is we could flee. But that's only option number one. Uh, Look down a little bit further here. It says flee like a bird to your mountain. And we will come back to that briefly here in a minute here. but, But behold. The wicked bend the bow, for they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Now, um, with this whole fleeing it, another aspect is we can try to fight it. We can try to fight it because what does the enemy want us to believe? Well, a few things. Look at this. This is kind of crazy. First... The enemy wants us to believe that our, our attack is coming from an invisible source. He says, in the dark, in the dark, as in you can't even see it, but this is going to happen. Oh, man, world does this all the time. World tells me my God's not going to come through. The world tells me that uh, this situation is going to end in a certain way. The world will try to discourage me from taking a step of obedience on the word saying it's not logical. In the dark, invisible. They also say something else. They say it's not just invisible, it's immediate. In other words, the world wants your fears to be so present and to be so immediate that you can't even focus on anything else that God has for you. As in, it's going to control you. Why do I say immediate? Did you notice the language used? It says, they fitted their bow to the string. In other words, the bow, the, the, um, the arrow, sorry, the arrow to the string. It's already on the string. It's already ready to be pulled back or it's already been pulled back. Like attack is immediate. It's imminent, another way to say it. But again, remember, please don't forget where this voice is coming from. This is not the voice of God. This is the voice of David's foe or maybe a friend who's acting like a foe. So this immediate idea, first invisible, but then immediate. And then, then you notice that, uh, that, that, that they say something else to him, which is uh, very discouraging if you take it wrong, um, going down. Like, what can the righteous do? And who are they aiming it at? They're aiming it at the upright in heart. They're like, yeah, you can flee. You can try to fight. But then there's something else that the world sometimes tells us we can do too. We can just follow along. We can just follow along. Just, you can't do anything about it. And, And I think that's another thing that they're trying to impress on David here 
and that is that he's impotent. It's not just invisible attack. It's not just that it's an imminent attack, but you're impotent towards the attack. You can't do anything about it. Do you ever feel that way? That like there's something going on, you watch the news and you're just like, man, I feel completely helpless. Or I feel completely confused as to what the next step is. Good news for you. When we leave here, there's going to be incredible clarity as to all of our responsibility in our walk with God as to what action do we take towards our fear. But fear is going to face off with something very great, and it's called faith. And we're going to see in a minute what faith does. But I want you just to notice, this is the way the attack goes. And then what does the enemy say? I skipped it on purpose because I believe it applies to the wicked bending their bow. I believe it, it applies to the upright in heart. I believe it applies to fleeing like a bird. He says, flee like a bird to your mountain. That's a fascinating phrase. <laughs> Why? In the word of God, there are so many mountains, are there not? I mean, we could, we could have like the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. We could have the, the Mount Moriah, great mountain to go to, right? We, we can have the Mount Sinai. We have mountains of significance. But that's not what this passage says. It says, flee like a bird to your mountain. Go to the place of your personal preference to avoid your fear. Notice the world is not about you having to be fearful. The world is about you not confronting your fear with God's way. What do I mean by that? Well, how do we confront our fears? What is our mountain? Kind of like, oh, my mountain. I don't know what my mountain is. Well, I'll give you some ideas of what your mountain might be. See, oftentimes our mountain is a very simple thing of distraction. It, when we flee to our mountain, when we're confronted with fear, when we're confronted with a situation we don't want to be confronted by, let's just get really distracted. Let's fill our schedule with a lot more things to do. Or maybe for some of us, let's go home and let's veg out on Netflix, on Prime, on gaming, on whatever. I just need to chill and I need to not think about anything I'm facing. I'm going to guess that at least 30% of you in this room, that is exactly what you do to get your mind off of the things you don't want to think about. We also have other, maybe more drastic measures you could say, although I don't believe so. I think they're all drugs. <laughs> Sometimes it is, though, drugs. Prescription drugs, how about? You have a full prescription for it, but you know you don't need to take it right now. You're like, I just don't want to think about it. You just want to get your mind off of what is confronting your heart at this present time. We could go on. There are so many things. How about sports? How about any addictions of the flesh? How about gluttony? We eat it away. We drink it away. Anything to distract us from actually confronting the fear. But now I'm going to get to the exciting part. Oh, that was a preface. See, because this is what we're going to start to realize. I apologize for the wind, but the Holy Spirit is described as wind. So every time you hear this, be like, Lord, what are you saying to me? Okay. So, um, but I, I want you to get excited about this because this is really where we start to see um, the opportunity in all of this. All right. If there is fear. Oh, don't miss this. 
If there is fear anywhere in your life, if there is fear, if there is a situation you're confronted with, if there is a situation you want to avoid, if there is a where does fear come from? Fear does not come from God. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Okay, so if there's fear, I'm not saying you're wicked or living in sin or anything like that. No, not at all. If there's fear, there is an attack going on. Do you all get that? If there's fear, there's an attack. Don't miss this. Get excited. Fear is actually coming from a source, the enemy, because he is fearful because something, a battle, is taking place and there is a chance of a loss for him. In other words, when you feel fear, when you see fear, when you're confronted with these situations, this is the very platform of faith to be demonstrated. This is the opportunity your soul has been waiting for. This is the opportunity for your God to show off happening to use your life to do it. I'll explain. See, even right now, an easy example for me, very easy example is cancer. Wow, what a gift from God. God gave me cancer. You say, God didn't give you cancer. You bro- yeah, you're right. I live in a broken world. I happen to get cancer. And the, the world gets cancer. Christians get cancer. But that's true of all fears, right? Like, I mean, like fear out there is just like, it can be the world. It can be us. But, but think about it like this. What a gift. Because now that God has entrusted with me this weakness, first of all, he says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. But why would we not want that, right? I mean, if I want God's strength, man, we experience in weakness. But what else? Like we pray to know him. If I want to know God, is God going to zap me with knowledge of him? Or is God going to say, all right, you want to know me as your comforter? Here's an opportunity. Because you're hurting. You need sustaining. And I'll show you my power. Well, well, what about if I want to know God's my provider? There's a prerequisite. If I want to know God's my provider, I got to be in need. If I don't need anything, I'm not going to know him that way. If I want to know God as my healer, yeah, I need infirmity. And you know, as I pray to know God more, there's going to come a day where I want to know him as my resurrection. But to know God as my resurrection is going to require another prerequisite. I'm going to have to die first. So often we say, I want to know you, but I don't want the platform to know you. God's just answering my prayers. Why not say thank you instead of why? I don't have to understand the reasons behind it. But what I want you to see is when the world says this is fearful, God says be faithful. He says, what I'm actually giving you is an opportunity to show who I am through all of this. And this is exactly what we're going to see God do in this passage. So so let me break it down a little bit more. When you got down to the end of verse uh, 3, I believe, and maybe verse, sorry, uh, I'm not sorry, actually. I already told you that's a good thing. Um, Verse uh, 3, yes. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? Think about it like this. When we think about foundations being destroyed, we think about it negatively oftentimes. In fact, if you ever heard Psalm 11 spoken on, probably not here, I'm sure, I'm sure they, that, that this was not the point of it, but oftentimes Psalm 11, when spoken on, there's an application which I, I really don't think is right. Remember, this is coming from the enemy, right? This is not like God saying, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is what the world says to us all the time. If the foundations are destroyed, you're helpless. There's nothing you can do. That is so 
actually the contrary. Let, let me tell you, I pray for foundations to be destroyed. You say, I'm not sure that's a good prayer. Say, I think it's actually a very godly prayer. I pray it for kids all over the world. My, my, my passion is young people. I minister a lot to, to young people uh, in many nations, and I'll tell kids, I'll say, I'm not sure you want me to pray for you. And they say, why? I say, because one of my first prayers for you is I'm going to pray, God messes your life up so much so you discover who he is and how valuable he is. And if that leads you to prison before you repent, may you go. If that leads you to have cancer, may you get it. I want God to bring you to the end of yourself that you might discover your purpose and that you might know his preciousness. Why? I want the foundations that we lay that are not Jesus Christ to be broken apart. That's why here in the United States, I, 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 you don't have to agree with me, okay? I'm just telling you straight out. I actually am sometimes quite thankful when the sources we thought we could trust fall out from under us, recognizing that my hope and my security was never in someone or some political party on earth. It is in someone, but not in someone who is uh, an American citizen. You see, there's only one foundation that we can lay, and it was the fa- or that can be laid, and it's the foundation that was already laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. And if we build our life on any other foundation, you're going to be depressed and you're going to be discouraged. You just are. Why? Your foundation's going to fail you. The foundations are going to be destroyed. If I place my hope of earthly satisfaction in my wife, she, she's a wonderful person. But she will fail me and I will fail her. But what's beautiful, what holds us together is not going to be how well she does or how well I do. It's that we have a foundation deeper than us. It's the foundation of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the way that he's forgiven us. I don't forgive her based on how she forgives me. I forgive her based on how the Lord's forgiven me already. You see, she doesn't show me grace because I deserve grace. She shows me grace because she went to Calvary and got it from Christ. See, there's a foundation that nobody can touch. Nothing can touch. This is why even the fear of death is nothing. Oh, death, where is your sting almost in mockery? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's gone. There's nothing there. I'm not worried about superstition and all this. I know who has the last word and we'll get to that in just a minute. This is the good news. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'll, get, I'll tell you what the righteous can do. They can keep standing on the one foundation that won't be destroyed. And there will always be hope. And so, the very situations where fear rears its ugly head will be the very situation where faith will be most seen. Isn't it beautiful that Peter... When addressing the early church in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, very clearly tells us that, uh, and we use it as an evangelistic verse, and it's good, but he says, always be ready to give an answer concerning what? The hope which is in you. But, and it tells us how to give that answer. But think about it. If I'm giving you an answer, you have already had an interaction with me, haven't you? Because I can't answer you until you ask me a question. But what are you asking me a question about? You're asking me a question about my hope. Hope does not show when there are no problems. 
Hope does not show when your life is going well. Hope shows when the bottom falls out of your life. And guess what? You still have a foundation you're standing on. That is why, as a church, get excited. We are at a prime moment in history where foundations are being ripped apart like crazy. Show the world the foundation that matters has not been budged, and they can't touch it. And as we stand on that foundation, they're going to see a love they've never tasted. They're going to see a peace they've never seen demonstrated. They're going to taste grace that they've been looking for. It's exciting. This is a great time to live. And so, this is the introduction to David's conclusion. If it can be like, if I can say it like that, introduction to conclusion with no middle point. But, that's the introduction. So then what happens? And this is, I love his approach here. In the last ten minutes, we'll we'll get through it. The question is asked. Now normally when a question is asked, what, what comes next? An answer. David gives no answer to the question of the wicked. When, when it says, what can, the, what can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? David says, well, the righteous can pray more. And the righteous can, uh, can, can go to church faithfully. And the righteous can hold signs. And the righteous can post on social media a lot. And the righteous can have debates. And the righteous can... That's not there. David never even gives an answer to that like that was the wrong question. Look what David does. He doesn't flee. He doesn't follow, go along with it. He doesn't fight it. Verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. And the one who loves violence, let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his Did you notice what he did? He refocused. He focused on something completely different. As the world makes all of this noise, all David does is he looks to the eternal. He looks to the foundation that doesn't move. And instead of trying to fix the problem, he focuses on the answer. See, this might sound overly simplistic, but I'm telling you, this is exactly what Jesus does when a very godly man gets discouraged. Uh, I'll I'll tell you really quickly that one. Uh, Think about it. In in the Word of God, don't feel bad when you go through a tough time, okay? There are three men that really wanted to kill themselves or wanted God to kill them, actually. Uh, Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist. Two were on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord, and the other one, Jesus says, there's nobody um, greater born of a woman, okay? So... Uh, these are not guys to just like say, hey, well, they had all their issues. Jesus Christ really put them in a special place. But these men all went through very discouraging down times. And yet, 
when John the Baptist was nearing the end of his life in Matthew chapter 11. A few chapters later, his head's going to be on a platter at someone's party, right? And, and before that, though, he's in prison in the fort of Macarius, which is on the border of a, a Jordanian-Israel border on the Dead Sea. And, and in this fort, there are like little windows in the cells. And so I can kind of imagine him pulling himself up on the bars and looking out the window. And, and his disciples were there. And he said to his disciples, he said, okay, go find Jesus and ask him a question. And the question was this. Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? In other words, John's discouraging. He's like, have I wasted my entire life? Have I invested in something which is futile and which is not going to turn out in the end? So they go to Jesus, and they ask him the question from John. Does Jesus give the answer? No. Just like David, no answer. Jesus, I just based on the passage, it seems he just brought them alongside him. And he kept doing what he was doing. The blind saw, the lame walked, the deaf heard, the lepers were cleansed, the dead were raised, and the poor had the gospel preached to them. And then what does Jesus say? He says, okay, now go back and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. And he goes to the whole list again never answers John's question about, am I the coming one or am I not? He simply reminds him of the prophecies of Isaiah by showing him the fulfillment of the prophecies and says, I've done everything the coming one was to do. And that's what David does. When fears confront him, he just goes back to who God is. Let me ask you, has God failed anything he said he would do? Anything? Can someone stand and give testimony of God's failure? Please. Has God ever failed you? No, he hasn't worked the way you want him to work with us because he loves you too much. And in our stupidity, we wanted something that was going to destroy us, our soul. See, we have a God who's faithful to his promises and they're all yes and amen in Christ. This world is coming to an end. Our life is very brief. But what the Lord is doing is preparing us for eternity. And look at what he turns the focus to. Four minutes left. Look what he turns the focus to. He turns the focus to God's presence. He says he is in his holy temple. But not just his presence. He turns it to his power. He says the Lord's throne. He's on the throne. He rules. He's in control. I love that. And look at his position. He's testing the sons of men. He's above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things. Nothing can compare to him. Don't you love how his eyelids test? I love that, his eyelids test. If I say, I want to go look at my eyelids, my friends know that means I want to go sleep. Because eyelids really only show themselves when the eyes are in a reposed position. It looks like God's sleeping right now to some of you. It seems that He doesn't care. It seems that God is not acting. And He's not the way you want Him to. If you could have been healed, you would have been healed yesterday. Somebody in your life you want to see come to Christ, well, you're still praying. 
There are a lot of things we would change if we were God, but we're not. But his eyelids test the sons of men. Why does he test us? Does he test us so we might fail? No. He tests us that we might be proven. He tests us because he wants to give us the opportunity for his glory to be seen through our mortal life. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, God doesn't promise us peace in our own, like, external life. In fact, the opposite. He says, take up your cross. God doesn't promise us ease. He doesn't promise us uh, approval from others. But he does promise us one thing. He promises us his presence. There was years ago that people came to burn down my house along with the houses of many others around me all in one day um, over in our village. And my house ended up being saved that day because neighbors blocked the way. But I was walking around the block a couple days later after all of um, just this drama. And I walked in front of the house of one of my Christian friends who had their house burned down because he was a believer. And in front of this house were all these Bibles that had been burned out in hymn books and because there was a little house church there. And as I walked through all this scattering of burned out pages, I was like, God, what is happening? And in the thousands of pages, literally thousands of pages, I said, I'm going to reach down and pick up one page. And I, I picked up one random page of scriptures in French. And as I picked up that random page of scripture and I, I looked down at it, I recognized the passage immediately from Isaiah that was on the page. And it's where God says through Isaiah, when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And what I realized again that day was God's not going to save you from the fire. But in the fire, he's going to walk with you. See, when we walk out that door, we're walking back into 2019 and back into a very wicked world. If you turn your TV on one time this, this week, you're going to be tempted to be discouraged. But that's because you're going to look at everything the world says. Look at the bending of the bow. Look at the person in the dark. Look at your mountain and go there. And God says, uh-uh, refocus. I'm on the throne. I've got the power. And the prize is with me. And what is the prize? The prize is in the last line. The prize of this entire psalm. The upright shall behold his. I don't know of a greater prize, my friends. It won't be long until I will be face to face with Christ, my Savior. And all the trials of this life will be over. But will I have used the opportunities of confrontation between fear and faith to glorify the name of my Savior? Will I have seen these as opportunities or will I have seen them as obstacles? You see, all of this is really a choice of where we're going to look. How can we truly fear if our faith is in the Lord? So I don't say that as judgment, but in closing, let me ask you. Is fear dominating some area of your life? Is fear controlling the way that maybe you're thinking about a situation? Are you saying always, what if, what if, what if? Stop looking at the what ifs and look at the I am. Look at the who is. Because you're going to realize there's only one foundation worth standing on. And when you stand on that foundation, regardless the tests of time and the trials that blow your way, 
you will find not only the place of security, you'll find the answer the world needs. They don't need an answer to all their questions. They need the answer for their soul. In closure, and truly closure, and I'll invite the music team up as I share this story. There was a, a brief story about three individuals. They were all in prayer. And as they prayed, and this was in a girl's dream, as they prayed, the first one was weeping. And as she prayed, the Lord walked by her, and, and he kind of showed some intimate care. I mean, like, he put his hand on her shoulder, and he wiped her tears, and then he spoke softly some words of kindness to her. The next girl, or it was all girls in the street, so the next girl was praying, and as she prayed, she too was quite emotional and quite burdened, and the Lord walked by and kind of rubbed her shoulder and then kept going. And then there was a third individual, and that third individual, equally fervent in prayer. But the Lord walked right by. The woman woke up, and she was quite distressed. <laughs> she said, Lord, I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. Like, all three were really praying. All three seemed to really care. And that first woman, all I can say is, wow, she must really be walking close to you. Because she got so much attention. But uh, that, that second woman, well, frankly, you love her, but not like the first. And that last one, I don't know what she did, but you're mad at her. The Lord said, you misread that situation completely. The first one has very little faith. She needed extra comfort. And she needed more words of affirmation concerning my presence with her. The second one is on the right track, but just needed that reminder, I'm here. And the one you think I didn't care about, that's the one I'm displaying my glory through right now. That person does not need me to come say the same thing over and over. She trusts me. She believes me. She takes my word at face value, and even when she doesn't feel my presence, when she doesn't see my presence, when she's not reminded of my presence, she walks with me. And that is the life I can do absolutely anything through, because that is a life of faith focused on me. Where do you fall in all this? The Lord's your shepherd. If he is, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in the only foundation worth standing on, you're going to face death one day, and nobody can save you. No good works can save you. There is no salvation in any religion of man. But there is one foundation that will stand even the storm of death. And that is the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for your sin, who conquered the grave, and is coming back for those who have placed their faith in him. On that day, do you have a foundation? It will be the only one standing. Father, glorify your name. And I pray that as your followers, we might not flee from the situations of this world, 
even try to fix the situations of this world, follow along with them or fight them, but instead may we focus on you, recognizing that as we show the hope and joy and love and peace we've tasted through Jesus Christ, that in that the world would see what they've been looking for. And if there's any soul here today that does not have this peace, Lord, oh, may they be ready for the final storm of life. And that's the storm that takes them into your presence where they will stand before the one judge of all time. Oh, God, convict hearts that all might be ready. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.